family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthe, your host, looking forward to two hours of conversational improvisation, some eclectic and eclectic insights about some music, particularly a bass line we're going to look at. We're also going to dive back deep into a couple books that are among our favorites. Um, Brain Maker is The Power of Gut Microbes to Heal and Protect Your Brain and Your Life. We're going to get into the gut microbes of the intestine because it turns out that's where a lot of our intelligence is. It gets weird. Also, The Master and His Emissary, The Divided Brain and the Making of the Western World. Uh, we're going to dive into the brain and see if we can come out making any sense. We're going to have a wine discussion. Uh, we'll have our favorite wine expert, Tim Sweeney, in to talk about some of the latest trends in wine. We'll have music live from the uh, Sultan of Sonic Soul himself, Gus Mancini. Joining me in conversation, co-hosting and engineering is on-air warrior here at Radio Woodstock, Ron Van Warmer. And we'll have a philosophical conclusion by the personal friend of the Big Electron, Patrick Carlin. Lots to happen. Lots of surprises. Fasten your seatbelts. Join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Let's get rocking and rolling. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Doug. What was the temperature this morning? It was about 10 degrees warmer than yesterday morning. <laughs> I came in yesterday. It was 34 degrees. Wow. Today, we're uh, about 48 degrees. So, But what beautiful days. I know. It's been one of the best falls that we've ever had. And, uh, and it's lasted so far about, what, uh, three days? The fall? It was summer last week. 80-something yeah, degrees. We don't have four distinct seasons anymore. <laughs> it's part of that climate change Suddenly. thing we keep hearing about. But it's been beautiful and uh, thought-provoking. And we have two of our favorite books on the brain, uh, which is really, I think, what the 21st century is going to be. I think is the century of the brain. If you think about it, uh, I guess the, the 20th century was the century of what? The automobile. Yeah. Um, the transistor. Right. Which created radio and television and then computers, uh, nuclear energy, <laughs> um, oil. Yeah. Kind of. Um, before that, the 19th century was, you know, we're, we're hit the industrial revolution, industrial revolution, machines, steam. Yeah. 21st century, it's going to be more brain. And that brain is not just human anymore. Well, it never was because... We come out of a human intelligence. We've talked about swarm intelligence. And now we've created 
this artificial intelligence and how this all interrelates is what's causing all the anxiety right now. Because mm-hmm. none of us quite know not only how it's going to turn out, we've never throughout history known how things were going to turn out. But we've created an alternative intelligence that's now teaching itself interpenetrating in our lives more and more every day, whether it's a smart, you know, smartphone or um, just compu- everything computerized in our workspaces. It seems to be doing a lot of thinking for us. And a lot of thinking for us. But it turns out, this is where this book gets interesting, and it's not the best written book I've ever read. <laughs> and I disagree with much of what he says, but it, he organizes a lot of material very well. He is David Perlmutter. He's a medical doctor, board-certified neurologist, fellow of the American College of Nutrition. And he's talking about what my nutrition, who's been a guest on the show many times, Eleni Reicher, um, has been talking to me and her clients about for decades, which is the gut microbes of our intestines. Uh-huh. I, I don't remember ever being taught how, that that was the crucial p- part of, uh, in a way, of how our brains work as well. No, I don't think that that's um, part of the curriculum. And it goes back to that old philosophical Cartesian thing of mind and body. Are they separate or mm-hmm. not? And um, with what we know now, I don't see how we can say they're separate. But when we think of ourselves, it's very interesting. I mean, when you think of yourself, what's the first image that comes to mind? Oh, um, when I think of myself, a younger me? <laughs> <laughs> well... We think of ourselves as an individual body of skin and bones, right? Within which, right, there's all this individual activity. Uh huh. I think of myself as the center of the universe. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> um, actually, but we all do at some point. I think. I think the sun. Hopefully, we grow out of it. The sun actually rotates around me. Oh. That's the. That's the thing. You would be a good king without. <laughs> without me, I would have nothing. <laughs> Here's a bumper sticker for the ages. Without me, I would have nothing. Uh, Yeah, so it's all about me. Now, you see, the Buddha might say, without you, you would have everything. Ah, that's a... He might. I don't know. He might also... It's an alternate uh, uh, view of the universe. Well... I think when I th- when we have an image of ourselves, we have that image that we see in the mirror. You know, this individual body and a head and shoulders uh-huh. and the whole thing down. When in fact, much more than skin and bones, we are t- a trillion or so microbes. Yeah. And yeah. That determines who we are. So. So there's all these lives going on inside of us. That's the point. Which is one reason. Why we're nuts? Which is, <laughs> it's it's uh, overwhelming. You know, we talk about genes. Genes have memories of yeah. all the ancestors and this and that coming through. It's one reason our dreams can get a little strange. But this gut microbe thing is fascinating. I'm going to read some excerpts from Brain Maker. Um, the title of the chapter is "Getting to Know Your Hundred Trillion Friends." Yeah. I said trillion, hundred trillion Phew. friends. We are not alone. They don't have eyes, ears, noses, or teeth. We could be thankful for that. Yeah. They don't have limbs, hearts, livers, lungs, or brains. They don't breathe or eat like we do. 
Some people are thinking of certain relatives I know, but it's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about your Uncle Max, okay? We understand yeah. that often he acts like a micro, but no, we're talking about something different. <laughs> Don't underestimate them. On the one hand, bacteria are amazingly simple, each consisting of only a single cell. On the other hand, they are extraordinarily complex, even sophisticated in many ways, and are a fascinating group of creatures. Uh, don't let their small size fool you. Some bacteria can live in temperatures that would boil your blood and others thrive in below freezing places. One species can even tolerate radiation levels thousands of times greater than you can. These microscopic living cells feast on everything from sugar and starch to sunlight and sulfur. Bacteria are the foundation of all life on Earth. Yeah. This is not the vision we were taught. No, not at all. They, these bacteria, were the planet's original life forms, and they will probably be the last. Why? Nothing living can exist without them. Yeah. It's disconcerting. We are our microbes. Uh, while you're probably familiar with the fact that certain bacteria can cause disease and even kill, you might not be so attuned to the other side of the story, that our every heartbeat, Exhalation, neuronal connection, helps bacteria sustain human life. Not only do these bacteria coexist with us, coating our insides and outsides, but they help our bodies perform a breathtaking array of functions necessary to our survival. Um, not the romantic notion we were taught. <laughs> Uh, for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to focus specifically on bacteria. They make up the majority of your gut microbes. One thing I don't like about the author, I don't like when they use the second person. It should be our, right? He's not, it's not like he's up there, some god looking down at us and telling us how we are. Uh -huh. You know, I always like our more than your, a little more inclusive. Uh -huh. At any rate. I get a little, my microbes got a little <laughs> critical there. <laughs> they're, they're, Calm down in there. They're swarming. Yeah. Um, we're going to focus specifically on bacteria. They make up the majority of our gut microbes alongside yeasts, viruses, protozoans, and eukaryotic <clears throat> parasites that also serve important healthful roles. Yeah. Parasite is just a word that we don't like to think about. No. With, you know, as a part of us big part yeah by and large it's the bacteria that are our body's key players in collaborating with our physiology especially neurology that's our brain work collected together the bacteria in our gut would weigh about three to four pounds which is the same weight as the brain ah. and has apparently as much influence when you think let's see okay um, I know it's almost unbelievable. It sounds crazy, like science fiction. Again, we're reading from uh, Dr. David Perlmutter, who is a board-certified neurologist and nutritionist. Um, I know it's almost unbelievable. sounds crazy, like science fiction, but the research is clear. Your gut's bugs may as well be considered an organ in their own right. Mm. And they are just as vital to our health as our own heart, lungs, liver, and brain. The latest science tells us that the intestinal flora, 
That sounds better than bacteria. It does, doesn't Protozoans it? Protozoans and <clears throat> parasites, doesn't it? It does. Flora. There's a little nursery going on down yeah, there. Yeah, a little flora. That sounds better. <laughs> it's a flora show. The latest science tells us the intestinal flora that take up residence on the delicate folds of our intestinal walls do the following. Aid in digestion and the absorption of nutrients. Create a physical barrier between invaders such as the bad bacteria, harmful viruses, and parasites. Act as a detoxification machine. Influence the immune system's response. Produce and release enzymes. Assist in getting a good night's sleep. Hmm. Clearly, the good bacteria in a healthy gut are not squatters enjoying free food and lodging. They factor into risk not just for brain disorders and mental illness, but for cancer, asthma, food allergies, metabolic conditions such as diabetes and obesity, and autoimmune diseases due to their direct and indirect influence on organs and systems. Put simply, our bacteria are in charge of our health. Hmm. Yeah. The, it's that balance between the good and the bad and all that good all that stuff. Um, let's see. And basically, where he comes out, um, do me a favor, pull up a list of uh, omega-3 and omega-6 foods. Um, he's basically saying that if we stuck to, we Westerners stuck to the basic Western Mediterranean diet, we'd be in pretty good shape in terms of our bacteria. And what does that mean? That means um, you, can be, it could, you can be a vegetarian, but if not, some meat, lots of vegetables, some nice starches, rice and potatoes, uh, olive oil, um, yogurt. May, omega which do you want to? Well, the good ones are the omega threes and the bad ones the omega sixes let's, let's let me read this make sure i have it right okay he's saying the health and variety of your belly's bugs directly depend on the foods you eat foods that are high in fiber which provide fuel to gut bacteria and reduced in refined sugars support bacteria better um we've talked about sugar and how the amount of sugar in our foods even if we don't add any is re- you have to be careful with that um Big difference between fats that fuel inflammation and fats that help control inflammation. Omega-6 fats dominate the Western diet today, but these are the pro-inflammatory fats found in many vegetable oils that have been linked to increased risk for brain disorders as well as heart trouble. Omega-3 fats, on the other hand, that's found in olive oil, fish, flaxseed, wild grass-fed animals, boost brain function and help stamp out inflammation. Uh, we've had various nutrition, nutritionists on the show for decades talking about the importance of inflammation, that that's the cause of most of our problems, is when the gut gets inflamed. Right. And, um, and that's what's causing the heart problems and the brain disorders, et cetera. So learning how to keep our intestinal tract in better balance is crucial, and reducing the inflammation, and a lot of it, some of it's very complicated, but much of it isn't. You look at the Mediterraneans. Again, we t- keep talking about this. We're so lucky to have this available to us here in the Hudson Valley. Farm fresh food. Right. Not industrialized food. Yeah. Okay. Uh, people in Mediterranean cultures, uh, 
get the vast majority of their foods not from one place, but from various local farms. It's you know, um, uh, they drink a couple glasses of wine every day. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't go to gyms in Italy in France for the most part. They walk, right? They don't run. Uh-huh. Um, they they also uh, I know in Italy um, shops are closed from like noon to two. Right. Two thirty, so people can have a two-hour lunch. Yeah, and and the obesity problem that we have in this country doesn't exist in much of the rest of the world. Well, okay, obesity is an issue the rest of the world, but not to the degree as right. here. And certainly, when my sister was living in Italy, and I would go over, you don't see nearly as many overweight people there. Yeah, um, but they're eating bread, they're having dessert. It's also portion control. It's it's the devils in the dose. Uh huh. You know when when we first moved to England when I was a kid, um, my mother went shopping every day, and she went to the butcher and she went to the baker mm-hmm. and she went to the dairy and she went to the uh, um, green grocer, and every shop had its own, uh, you know, specialty. And there mm-hmm. was not like a single store that you would go to to get everything, like a supermarket where right. everything is prepackaged. You know, the meat was hanging up on hooks in the butcher shop and the, uh, the green grocer had local, seasonal uh, vegetables and fruits. And, and you couldn't get strawberries in the winter. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, that was the, what you ate was what was available. Now, there's an irony here because at the same time that we are so fortunate here in the Mid-Hudson Valley to have access to farm-fresh foods. We've got 7 billion people on the planet. Yeah. And can't feed people with small farms. So uh, it gets complicated. But but the industrialized food that we've created in our culture in particular is just making most Americans incredibly sick. Yeah. Overweight and but and again now they're tracing a lot of this not all but a lot of obesity heart disease Alzheimer's Parkinson is coming from an inflamed and leaky gut system hmm. and uh, again look at the foods that the Mediterraneans are eating right. in the Western diet in in Asia it's a little different they have. The healthy Asian diet is a little bit different. Um, but notice a lot of fermented foods. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> very powerful because those have the probiotics. Anyway, this is, a good, this is a good book. Here's what, again, nutrition is such a complex subject. The one that's we've talked about more than any other over the years we've been on the radio here. Uh, no one person has all the answers. No one book has all the answers. Um you kind of have to patch it together and figure and out see for yourself works. yeah, and listen to your body because that's one of the big problems that I think we face is we don't listen to our body. No, we're we, too busy. We're too busy with the next project. Right. And so we miss a lot of those signs that would tell us that uh, there's something going on that's probably not good. Uh, yeah, but the other problem yeah. is who your doctors are because, again, you know, th- he also talks about how if you take a lot of antibiotics, you can't have a balanced gut system. Right. 
Yeah. Because while the antibiotics are necessary, obviously, in certain, if, when they're being given out at times when they're not really needed, it just destroys the gut system. Yeah. Because an antibiotic, by definition, is killing, it indiscriminately kills the good bacteria with the, with the bad bacteria. Right. Yeah. You'd think by now, in the 21st century, they would be able to come up with an antibiotic that killed the bad and not the good, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would think, but it just kills everything. Kills everything. I, I read an article years ago, and it stuck with me that uh, antibiotics uh, were considered a weapon because during the war, uh, I think World War One maybe is when antibiotics were first starting mm -hmm. to be used. The uh, Germans didn't have antibiotics, and so the enemy didn't have them. And so when they got shot, many of them died not from the bullet wound, but from the infections that followed. Mm. And the, uh, the allies had antibiotics, and so the soldiers were surviving and going back to fight again. Yep. It's, uh, but again, it's ironic that that very, we probably wouldn't be here if there weren't antibiotics. We'd all be, most of us would be dead of something. Yeah. But on the other hand, we've just overloaded ourselves, and what it does to that gut system is just criminal. Yeah. Um, at any rate, the book we are diving into uh, is Brain Maker, uh, because what we haven't gotten into yet is where he shows, with empirical scientific evidence, that um, the gut bacteria uh, have neurons, hmm. which is what our brains have that help the brain think. So the more and more we're learning is the thinking person that we are is not just located inside the head. Right. Is there any evidence that these uh, bacteria communicate with each other? Of course they do. They would have to. Um, let's see here. This is the feeding. Well, we'll get into this when we come back. Right. It's time for our first break. <laughs> Already. My God. And um, we will continue to dive into our gut, which means we're diving into our brains. Um, let's see what else is going to happen after we improvise. Uh, Gus is coming in, the Sultan of Sonic Soul, to play live for us. He's That's always it. a treat. Yep. I have some jazz in our souls. Uh, we're going we're gonna to open up the Woodstock Roundtable jukebox. Um, I've selected a song for a particular reason, and Ron is going to play off of that. And then at 8.30, our special guest, Tim Sweeney, our favorite wine expert from Stone Ridge Wine and Spirits, will catch up on some of the latest and cool trends in Wine and spirits hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable. Look like an ace. A lot of guys try to catch her, but she leaves them on. 
This is the Woodstock Roundtable. It is. Uh, you're Ron Van Warmer. I am. I'm Doug Grunther. And uh, we're improvising on a book about a part of our body we weren't taught much about, but is key to who we are, what we think, and how we feel. And that's the hundred trillion uh, bacteria in our gut. It's, it's interesting that we weren't taught any of that. And I, is it because we didn't know it? Or be, I mean, did our teachers know this, or did they just no. ignore it? Uh, I think this is a case of just not knowing, yeah. um, at least in any large scale. Um, and uh, listen, one of the reasons we're learning about all this is because now we have you know everything from EEG machines to study the brain waves, and MRIs that can go in and actually we can actually see things that couldn't be seen before. Um, but the uh, the subtitle of the book is The Power of Gut Microbes to Heal and Protect Your Brain for Life. Mm. And to me, the most fascinating part of this is the, the, the physiological connection between the trillions of gut bacteria in our intestinal tract and our brain. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Why would they be there if they didn't perform a function? So. Yeah, we just haven't really understood the 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 pervasiveness of it but um towards the end he gets practical with you know how what we eat can just help our brains as well as our overall health because um so many of the issues we have from you know irritable bowel syndrome to allergies to autoimmune problems to alice you know brain mis- mm-hmm. alzheimer's uh parkinson's is all about inflammation in the gut. Mm. And um, so, let's see, chapter eight is feeding your microbiome six essential keys to boosting your brain by boosting your gut. Uh-huh. Bust a gut. Uh, this is Dr. David Perlmutter. He is a medical doctor, a board-certified neurologist, and a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. Okay. I am frequently asked how long it takes to rehabilitate a dysfunctional or underperforming uh, gut system. Research shows. Yeah. There's so much bad news out there. Here's some good news. Oh, good. (laughs) Research shows that significant changes in the array of gut bacteria can take place in as little as six days. Wow. After instituting a dietary protocol like the one I present in this chapter. Now, again... I don't take any one doctor as knowing everything. Right. But I think he's he's giving us a, a good piece of the puzzle here. Choose foods rich in probiotics. Uh-huh. The probiotics are the good bacteria. Antibiotics kill the bad bacteria. Right. Now, here in the Mid-Hudson Valley, we're a little more conscious of what is in our foods, perhaps, than other parts of the country. But so many of the industrialized foods that are convenient have antibiotics in them, mm-hmm. including a lot of the meats that exactly. we eat, et cetera, because they pump these poor animals up with these antibiotics because right. they don't raise them properly. Yep. So even if you're not taking oral antibiotics for some problem, uh, the fact is most people, if not conscious about what they're eating, are 
ingesting antibiotics every day. Right. And this is a problem because... It's then, killing the good bacteria along with the bad bacteria. And often there's bacteria that will no longer be affected by the antibiotics. Uh, that's a whole other one. Yeah, that's a whole other issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we want more probiotics. Uh, now, my nutritionist says, yes, get it from food as much as you can, but you still need supplements. Huh? But work, you know, everyone has different, there are different opinions on that. Uh But key choice number one for a healthy brain, which means you have to have a healthy gut, is choose foods rich in probiotics. Um, Let's see. Um, Civilizations didn't understand the mechanism behind the fermentation process for centuries. Um, Anything fermented um, means it's got probiotics. Oh, okay. And um, my food of choice and i forget sometimes because i'm not always in the mood for it uh-huh. uh susan weed was the one who first educated us about this that um one of the all-time healthiest foods on this planet but and particularly the most effective in keeping viruses away is sauerkraut right and or kimchi fermented cabbage so cabbage must have some when it's fermented right the That's fermentation process is, is, as I, I'm not, as I understand it, reading this is where the probiotic comes from. So, um, kimchi, sauerkraut, fermented cabbage, um, fermented milk products is yogurt. Yogurt's fermented. Right. right. Um, wine. Wine. <laughs> That's good news. Um. Okay, what is it that's so special about fermented foods? Fermentation is the metabolic process of converting. Here's where my eyes start to water from, you know, those terrible tests they gave us in 10th grade that I was never good at. But anyway, fermentation (laughs) is the metabolic process of converting carbohydrates like sugars into either alcohols and carbon dioxide or organic acids. It requires the presence of yeast, bacteria, or both. Um, It's interesting. You know, uh, fermentation can only occur when organisms are deprived of oxygen. Huh. Huh? Fermentation was described as a respiration without air by the French chemist Louis Pasteur, renowned for his discoveries of, you know, um, micro-fermentation and pasteurization. Right. Um, Let's see. The type of fermentation that makes most foods probiotic, rich in beneficial bacteria... It's called lactic acid fermentation. Good bacteria convert sugar molecules in the food into lactic acid. Um, let's see. So we know yogurt, kefir. Is, is pickling fermenting? Pickling is fermenting. Okay, that's good. Uh, kimchi, sauerkraut, pickles, pickled vegetables. Um I love those. Yeah, anything fermented. Go low carb, low carb, embrace high quality fat. Um, again, depending upon whether you're vegetarian or a meat eater, uh-huh. it's going to make a big difference. Um, but a central premise of this book, he says, is the fact that fat, not carbohydrate, is the preferred fuel of human metabolism and has been for all of human evolution. Huh. Um, now, I have talked to vegetarians who have figured out how to get 
fat, you know, the max out fat because that's a, it's a little obviously tougher on a right. vegetarian diet, but it can be done. Yeah, um, that's a, one of my favorite foods is the avocado. Oh yeah, the avocado is healthy. It's also got a fair amount of that's uh, those, those mm. good fats. Uh huh. But anyway, do you have to. We have to do our own research. Um, there's there's no one person or one doctor has all the answers. Um, we're fortunate, certainly here in the Mid Hudson Valley, to have a number of people savvy about nutrition and gut bacteria. Well, I'm I'm going to definitely up my fermented food intake. And again, listen to your body because right. some people are sensitive to fermented foods, yeah. you know. But uh, still, um, uh, and again, look into supplements because. I guess one of the general um, insights that we've received on the show over the years is that while it's best to get our nutrition from foods, uh-huh. um, given how we've leached so many of the nutrients out of our <laughs> soil with all the fertilization and chemicals, most people I talk to say, yes, get most of it from food, but you may have to supplement right. a little bit. Yeah, I did a little research into probiotics as well, and there are different thoughts on that. And ref- and if if they're not refrigerated, most of the probiotics are going to die before you get them. Mm. So if you're taking it in a pill, you're not getting what uh, you the would get. Part. I, again, I'm not a good enough chemist to know. Yeah. Um, I think my nutritionist would disagree, but we'll have to have her on. Okay, good idea. Um but we've had that that has been a discussion. I mean, there are people who feel all supplements are useless. You know, you have to get all your yeah. nutrients from f- foods. And I guess to me, I, I, I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, I get as many as much as I can from food. Yeah, but I do take some supplements. Again, you got to find good Experiment people, patch too. together, and see what makes you feel better. Yeah, exactly. But one of the pieces of good news he's saying is that you can start to turn the whole thing around in a matter of six days yeah that's amazing you know um we're gonna definitely work on that put it in there um so we go from that to the master and his emissary which is our favorite book on the brain the man uh, the divided brain in the making of the western world ian mcgilchrist is a um a renaissance person and I, I like those types i mean he's a neurologist but he's also a literary scholar and he's put together this amazing book um, which really celebrates the right hemisphere of our brain. Um, We have a corpus callosum, which is an anatomical divide. And we now know that the two hemispheres of our brain, when we're thinking at our best, are are thinking together. Uh But most of the time, they're thinking in opposition to each other. Hmm. And... um, You'd say, well, what would what is evolution's purpose in doing that? That's kind of a confusing way of doing things. And he gives a really good example. Uh huh. He said, like with a bird, all right. So a bird is gonna have to peck some seeds out of the ground, right? That takes real focus. Uh huh. That's the left hemisphere. The left hemisphere is the part of our brain that helps us focus in on a very particular topic. the The left hemisphere of our brain learns by taking things apart into the right and then understanding how things are put together piece by piece the right hemisphere of our brain which is more connected to our unconscious and our creative intuition is a big picture thinker 
it understands something pretty much all at once. It doesn't have to break it down and figure uh-huh. it out rationally, right? To use our bacteria, it's a gut with that gut reaction yeah. comes from the right hemisphere. Right. Um, what McGilchrist is pointing out is that modern civilization, particularly in the West, is way overbalanced to the left hemisphere, which is why we celebrate logic and rationality as opposed to art and beauty, uh-huh. which comes from the right hemisphere. But um, the with a bird, so he, why would nature um, give an advantage to, to those that that have two hemispheres. The left hemisphere of the bird is allowing it to focus in on small seeds that it's pecking out of the ground. Uh But if it was totally focused on that and wasn't aware of its bigger surroundings, it wouldn't notice the shadow of a hawk coming down to Uh uh, have it for dinner. It's the right hemisphere of the brain that that is aware in a much more expansive sense all the time. We're just not always consciously aware of it. So birds and animals have a right and left hemisphere in their brains as well? Yes, and the, and he's pointing out the reason, because after showing how confusing it can be when our left and hem, right hemispheres aren't <laughs> communicating effectively with each other, uh-huh. why would nature provide us with that divided brain? It would seem simpler if it was a uni- if it was anatomically unified. And what McGilchrist is explaining is, theoretical is, that it's because if a, if a bird looking for seeds needs both parts of those brains to survive, without the left hemisphere, it wouldn't be able to focus enough to find a small, tiny little seeds it needs for food. Uh-huh. But if it didn't have the right hemisphere that was more intuitive, unconsciously connected to the larger environment, it wouldn't notice the shadow of that hawk or some other predator coming to right. nail it. So it has, those birds that survive, not all do, <laughs> are ones whose, the two halves of the brain are working together effectively. Right. Um, and the same with humans. Right, but we didn't even know any of this until the 1960s. Wow. And the way it was discovered was um, a neurologist, they discovered, I think by accident, um, that when the corpus callosum, that's the anatomical divide between our left and right hemispheres, when it's severed uh-huh. by surgery, it had a positive effect for epilepsy ah. patients. So they were actually going in and surgically disconnect, you know, cutting through the corpus callosum because it would help them with their epilepsy. But now their left and right brains weren't talking to each other. Ah. So he did, he interviewed them and he discovered that our left and right hemispheres are two very distinct forms of consciousness. Huh. They see the world very differently. So how do we integrate them? Well, that's the trick. And our educational system doesn't do a very good job of it. No. So we have to kind of learn this stuff on our own. Um, uh, this is, um, and he's, he's talking about, um, let's see, in the first part of this book, I refer to the fact that depth relies principally on the right hemisphere of the brain, 
Each hemisphere, however, has its contribution to make to perspective. Like individuality, perspective is understood differently by the two hemispheres. Hmm. Perspective is, on the one hand, the means of relating the individual to the world and enormously enhancing the sense of the individual as standing within the world. Remember I ask you, what do you think about when you think about yourself? Right. Um, we think of ourselves as a distinct body and mind, right? Uh-huh. Standing within the world. Where depth includes and even draws in the viewer through the pull of the imagination. And on the other, a means of turning the individual into an observing eye, coolly detached from his object space. Equally, the rise of the sense of the individual as distinct from the society to which he belongs enables both an understanding of others as individuals with feelings like one's own, the grounds of empathy. And at the same time, a detachment of the individual from the world around him leads ominously in the direction of autism. Huh. So what he's getting at here is that it can be a good thing that we see ourselves as a separate individual because then, as a human being, we can see that there are other individuals, right? Uh-huh. If we are too stuck in the left hemisphere of our brain, we primarily see that other individual as a competitor. Right. Because the left hemisphere is always trying to control its environment. It doesn't share. Uh huh. It's very good at helping us focus in on what we as an individual need. So even when we're collaborating with other people, we're still seeing ourselves as distinct individuals. It depends on what parts of the brain and the balance is. Yeah. Uh, but we, our educational system is based on primarily on the left hemisphere. In other words, if you think about the standard public school, let's say kindergarten through sixth grade, uh-huh. if we had to create a pie of a percentage, we'll just throw it out. What percentage of your grade school education was about the practical, important practical aspects of life that will help us get ahead. Reading, writing, arithmetic, history, science, hard science, versus the time we spent art, writing poetry, writing imaginative stories. Probably a bit more than 90%. Yeah, probably right. Yeah. Towards the practical uh, right. the left hemisphere. Yep. And what McGilchrist is pointing out is that's one of the reasons <clears throat> we're not a sharing culture. Yeah, one of the first things that are cut when school budgets are talked about, art, um, music, those are the things that get mm-hmm. cut. So now if we want to combine McGilchrist's book, The Master and His Emissary, with Perlmutter's book, Brain Maker, <laughs> The Power of Gut Microbes to Heal and Protect Your Brain for Life, we point out that our educational system is, we're just throwing out a number there. Yeah. We're getting like 90% left hemisphere practical versus the imaginative creative, uh-huh. right? When I think of right even through high school, a couple college courses were better than this, but right through high school, basically to do well in school meant you did well on a test where you were regurgitating yeah. and memorizing what you were, some specific inst- things you were supposed to learn. Mm-hmm. That's all left hemisphere. Yeah. And um, you can't expect people to be empathetic and generous 
and charitable <laughs> if the left hemisphere is dominating that much. Because, not because the left hemisphere is at fault. It's just that's what it does. Yeah. Um, if you don't exercise it, it doesn't, it doesn't grow. Work. Which is why, again, the other example easy to figure out is why Albert Einstein was terrible in school. Uh-huh. He was totally right brain in a left brain school. Yeah. But when he did thought experiments on his own, he came up with relativity. <laughs> so, and the, uh, but to connect this with, how does that connect with our gut microbes, right? Right. Okay, so in our school system, we totally had not enough right hemisphere exercise right. and too much left hemisphere. All right. As, I mean, what is the typical diet in a school cafeteria? Yeah, uh, processed, cafeteria. industrialized food that dis- that totally destroys the balance of the gut system. When I was a kid uh, in our cafeteria, uh, if you had uh, carrots and cabbage in your Jello, that was the uh, vegetable. <laughs> if you had fruit in your Jello, that was the dessert. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Think of what we're eating. What, what's being what's being sold in school cafeterias? Right. Including all that soda, you know, they have deals with Pepsi and Coke and all that. And what that does to the gut microbes, and now we know that the gut microbes not only determine whether we are physically feeling healthy or not, but it has a direct connection with how our brains function. Right. So we have an educational system in our, right, in our country, which is way overbalanced to the left hemisphere, right, at the cost of right hemisphere Uh creativity, inspiration, and empathy, and we're destroying kids' guts with the food that they're serving in the cafeterias. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if... if so we were, nutrition if, is just as important you, as knowledge. You, you couldn't do it more perfectly wrong than we're doing. <laughs> I have to give our culture credit. We couldn't be more wrong. You know? It's, it's sometimes tougher if you're a little bit off and you can't quite figure, wait, where am I a little bit off? Uh-huh. Right? We have it magnificently, <laughs> perfectly ingeniously wrong yeah uh, it's amazing that we've survived this long now you might say okay mr smartass <coughs> okay mr <laughs> could say oh, that. excuse me both of us they're saying both okay mr smartasses and we'll include gus in this oh. although he's 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 right brainer he couldn't play that saxophone i got thrown out of lunch so i was lucky <laughs> <laughs> i got you, thrown out of math class what so. did you get thrown out of lunch for um i actually was throwing something at a friend and i hit a teacher ah Purposely or, or unconsciously or uh, just the a teacher bad throw? unconsciously. The friend, I'm sorry, I missed him. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, what what was the item that you were hurling? Uh, it was like spaghettios, and it was really pretty. Spaghettios, lousy. that's oh, pretty yeah. good. That's good for the Actually, gut. Actually, she looked pretty good in them. The teacher. <laughs> spaghettios very, are very, pro- very good for the gut microbes. Uh, yeah, are they? No, no. I, I, <laughs> chef Boyardee. Oh yeah, I grow Chef Boyardee. Oh my god. By the way. Where was he a chef? (laughs) I want to know where that guy was a chef. I think there's a lawsuit here somewhere. Anyway, where was I? Um, I was somewhere in the right hemisphere of my brain. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So uh, someone could say, okay, Mr. Smartasses, what kind of culture would we have if 90% of our educational system was right brain, nothing practical would ever get done? And my answer would be, yeah, you're right. So we need a better balance. Right. Right? We need a better balance between the two. 60-40 maybe. Uh, okay. I think 50-50 would be fair. But all right. The, the point is, let's say we're saying it's 90-10 towards the left. Right. 
hemisphere. And then you look at the food, my God. Um, it's like, what chance do we have? Yeah. And as I say, how did we, how have we survived? Well, it's not about the fact that we that people can be kept alive longer is not that impressive. The question is, is our, do we have quality of life or not? Right. Right. Um, I think all of us, if we took a vote, would we, you know, we can live to ninety, but the last ten years we're not going to be healthy. Is would we vote for that? Yeah. Well, we'd have to look at it this way too. In society, do you want creative? right brain people working on a, uh, a factory line building cars. Okay, so here's the punchline to all that. The answer, when they call us smart asses, and they're right, but <laughs> our response is the following. Okay, look, maybe let's agree there should be a better balance between the left and right hemispheres, okay? Uh-huh. But guess what, folks? We've created... An artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. That is getting smarter every day. Every time they say, well, a computer won't did that, but it won't be able to do this. Within five years, it's doing that. Uh-huh. Okay? It's now beating humans at intuitive games. Right. Okay? Not just logical games. The point is, there is a difference between computer brains and human brains. Now... What that difference I think is going to shrink as computers get more and more smart. Uh-huh. But there's always going to be a difference between a computerized brain and a human brain because it is less likely that a computer will ever be right hemisphere oriented. Right. It is brilliantly right. left hemisphere oriented, meaning computers right now, they're only going to get better and smarter exponentially, but right now as we're sitting here, computers have better left hemisphere brains than we humans do. Yes. Because it's the left hemisphere that's, that collects data, breaks it apart, finds the right ones, puts it together in a pattern, right? Uh-huh. That's all left hemisphere, those building blocks. Computers are better at that than humans. That's why Gary Kasparov in 1996 stopped playing Big Blue the computer. He was the greatest chess player in the uh-huh. world. And he realized... There's no way. That's right. But, so, but in activities that require more right hemisphere, we become more important because computers aren't nearly as good at that. So our argument for our educational system, and if it, the system doesn't change, we, have, we can go on the World Wide Web. We can read the books we want to read and learn this stuff, right? Uh-huh. Going forward, we're not going to need our left hemisphere part of our brain as much as we used to. That's right. Because com- computers are doing that for us. Exactly. So a, a teacher can bemoan the fact that kids can't multiply 10 times 10 anymore. They don't have to. They can go into their smartphone and have the answer in a second. Right. That smartphone, that computer, we've discussed this, is an extension of our brain. Uh-huh. It is part of our brain. So... That's the part of the brain that can do computation better than we humans can. So if we don't come up with a way to quantify artistic expression, we're going to become obsolete. If we don't learn <laughs> to, to um, use our right, the right hemisphere of our brains more effectively, right, we will not be needed. And, I agree with you. Yeah. We will not be needed. We need them to do something that the computer isn't capable of doing in, in order for us to be relevant. We need 
Renaissance 2.0. There you go. Um, <laughs> and that's what I think is coming, along with mass global anxiety. Um, <laughs> I think the two are coming. Um, and uh, um, But that's where the game is, <clears throat> that we are so locked into the left hemisphere logical part. And McGilchrist, I think, points out to our detriment now. Uh, look at the gap between rich and poor. Just think of this for mm. a second. Left hemisphere fans. Let's be logical. How can you have a workable society if there's a huge gap between the 1% who have most and the 99% who have very little? Uh. How, can that, how can that be a functioning society? It can't be. No. It's, so It's not going to survive it's not going to survive something's going to happen yeah um and uh it's going to happen and revolution is one of those hopefully uh, hopefully as our friend robert thurman says a cool revolution uh, yeah where it's one of more of ideas that it's not physical violence but um i don't know i know but there's but there's there's some form of revolution and renaissance coming you can feel it yeah um and the more we get to understand the microbes and how they connect with how we think, which means what we eat literally is what we think. Uh-huh. Literally. Yeah. And um, and then how we can maximize the effect of the human right hemisphere brain, which is our future. Yeah. Otherwise, <clears throat> I mean, and maybe, maybe we humans are just overrated. Maybe, maybe, maybe a thousand years from now, an alien life form will say, yeah, you know, Wordsworth and Shakespeare, they, 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 they did some nice imaginative yeah. work. But ultimately, humans became obsolete because they didn't realize that the universe is a logic machine. Yeah. And all their cute little feelings, et cetera, were nice, but they were just part of evolution to get us to a more logical, <laughs> compute, computational more efficient universe. I hate that plan. Well, and that plan um, will just merge into computers and, yeah, you know, that'll be well, the end of it. Well, we'll be, we have the, 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 the computer on the phone in our hands now as an extension of our brain, and pretty soon it'll just be implanted Correct. in our brain, and then yep. we won't even need to have the object. Maybe, or maybe between computer and human, as this starts happening, we figure out um, s some form where the human part is, that right hemisphere part plays a big, we figure out a more effective role for the two yeah. hemispheres together. Yeah. Um, but what's so interesting to me is that the very nature of our conversation is proof of the point, which is the only reason McGilchrist can write his book and Perlmutter can write his, one on the right and left hemisphere of the human brain, the other on the gut microbes, and we now know they're connected. Mm -hmm. The only way they can have all this amazing... Yeah. So there's a perfect example of where the computer brain and the human brain are working together. Yeah. So if we play this right, and, <laughs> and there's a lot of evidence we won't, but if we play this right, uh -huh. it's not about... What can computers do for us to make our lives more efficient? It's about what can computers and humans together learn about the human, about who we are. Yeah. Because we already know now we had a very limited vision of who we were until very recently. This is the exciting part. 
if we get this right, we're going to have more Perlmutters and McGilchrist writing brilliant books about how our brains and our guts work. Yeah. So as important as a computer is, we've got to remember it's all about us. It's not about the computer. Oh, I think it's about both. <laughs> they're, 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 I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be Hal, but I don't see any way, given how fast they're learning, uh-huh. human speech, human thought patterns, human emotions, human sickness, right? Yeah. And we're counting on them to learn that because it, imp- it can improve That's our science, our medicine. Who's to say they're not going to have something to say other than purely what we input into them? Uh-huh. As Hal had had decided that I he mean, needed I, to... I uh, think they're... I'm not saying they're going to become conscious like we are, but I don't think they're going to be pa- they're going to be passive either. Because uh, remember, they are teaching themselves right now. That's right. That's the freaky part. Yeah. Passive or non-passive computers. Um, so anyway, when we come back, we'll go very right hemisphere. Because yeah. the Sultan of Sonic Soul is here with a saxophone. We'll Thank be right God. back. Thank you. 